Today's episode is all about Kara North, instructional designer, social media maven, and super networker, who I originally met via Twitter after hearing her interview on episode 25 of the Dear Instructional Designer podcast. Kara is pursuing a PhD in learning technologies, she's an active member of Toastmasters, and somehow still finds time to volunteer for various organizations. But surely the greatest of all her accomplishments, as history will record, is hosting this, the Instructional Redesign Podcast, stories and conversations about the design of modern learning experiences. Welcome listeners to part one of our two-part series, Better Know a Host, Kara North Edition. Welcome, Kara, to your own podcast. Why, thank you, Joe. So let's get started with your background. How did you get into all this instructional design stuff? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, actually it was about 10 years ago, I was proud to be the first person in my family to graduate college, but I was embarrassed that I couldn't find a full-time job. When you're in your early 20s, you're delusional, or I guess I was. I really thought I would roll out and land a great job, but the timing was awful. I graduated in the recession, so I moved back in with my parents in eastern Kentucky. I was looking for a job anywhere, and the local unemployment office had open interviews at a telemarketing center. I went in and walked out with a job. Now, this was a really hard pill to swallow. I've always been somebody who's a high achiever, and here my family was so proud of me graduating. And I got a job at a call center. (laughs) I'm a firm believer, though, that any hourly wage beats $0 an hour. So I went to work, working in the political fundraising division of the telemarketing firm. It was a terrible job. But I believe any job you do, you can always build transferable skills. And I strive to do my best regardless of the position. I was promoted to a call center quality analyst where I had to listen to calls and rate other call center associates. Part of that job also included training the new hires and other associates on quality. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the training part of the job. I then left that job to take a job at Amazon working in customer service in Kindle. The exact same thing. I started on the phones, but I promise I didn't hate it as bad as my first job. And then I started assisting training as a SME in Kindle. One day I made the remark, who makes this stuff? When I noticed a certain Kindle job aid was really out of date. My manager told me about the instructional design team, how they're completely overworked and they just so happened to have posted a position in the department. So I applied for it, and a few weeks later, I moved out of my cube into a shared office with a door desk, and I was an instructional designer. I, too, felt completely overwhelmed and over my head a lot. But looking back, I am so fortunate to have spent my formative years in instructional design at Amazon. I worked with the best. I learned from the best. And I will put my experience from Amazon against anyone else's any day of the week. But a small part of me missed that FaceTime. I was doing great things. I was working out of the LMS queue, building training around Amazon apps, creating job aids for our knowledge management system, but I wasn't completely satisfied. So I started working in the evening for a subcontractor for the US Department of Health and Human Services. I taught adults in the evening work readiness skills and computer skills, and I completely fell in love with it. 
So for a couple more years, I continued working the grind at Amazon during the day, career educator at night, and then something happened. I gave up my ways. I was on the fast track to becoming a crazy cat lady, and I ended up coming to Columbus, Ohio to be with my then boyfriend, now husband. I ended up getting a job at the Ohio State University. Fast forward to today, and I am approaching my fourth year at OSU. I'm an instructional development specialist, and I'm lucky enough to have a lot of variety in my job. I'm not just an e-learning developer. I get to do stuff with a learning management system. I get to facilitate training, and I get paid to be creative. So all in all, it's a pretty good gig. Well, it's good to hear your entire background, and I knew a little bit about your background, but it's good to know the full picture. So moving on, from talking to you over the past few months, it's become clear that you've done a bit of everything, at least at one point or another. You've done instructional design work and storyboarding, e-learning, LMS administration, customer service and stand-up training, learning technology evaluation, using interesting tools and services like Twine and Credly. It seems to me that you like to enjoy trying new things and expanding your skill set as an instructional designer. Tell me, what's at the root of that and what drives you to continuously grow and improve? I think it's just me. I, I'm by nature a very curious person. I am absolutely fascinated at all the different sectors that this particular industry, if you want to call us that, touches. And there's a lot to know, there's a lot to learn, and there's a lot that you need to do to continuously grow. And for me, if I'm going to work on something, I give it my all. That's just kind of the way that I am. So, yeah, I've kind of dipped my toe into all the different ID pools, and I, I don't regret it at all. Now, again, am I perfect in everything? No, absolutely not. Will I ever be? No, probably not. But the fact that I can experiment, the fact that I can take these other portions of instructional design into account, it makes me a little bit more well-rounded, and it also helps me approach things from a holistic standpoint. I don't think it's any coincidence that you bring up curiosity. That seems to be the number one thing that bonds all of us as instructional designers together. As I mentioned in your intro, you're very active on social media and networking in general. You work full-time and you're pursuing a PhD, so you've got to be busy, but then when I asked you to co-host this podcast with me, you didn't hesitate to say yes. It was a very emphatic yes. I want to know how you dedicate time to all these things, yet stay productive without burning out. Again, I think it's just my nature. I'm committed to lifelong learning. I'm an only child. My parents weren't fortunate enough to be afforded the education that I've been provided and, and graciously took. So the fact that I have all of these learning tools and all these different organizations and all these different activities at my disposal, I always have the mindset, shame on me if I don't take advantage of it. And I've wanted to do a podcast for a while. I've bounced it back and forth. And when you brought up the opportunity, I, it was a no-brainer. Of course, yes, I want to do a podcast. I feel like there's a lot of people that really tout their work and tout their expertise and tout their niche. And it took me a while to feel comfortable in, you know, maybe I don't know everything about instructional design. Maybe I don't necessarily have a niche, 
but my perspective is valued in the community. And once I kind of got over the fear of that, it clicked probably about a year and a half ago that I really need to do a better job in networking. I need to do a better job in getting myself out there, building my own personal brand. That's a good perspective to have for sure. And when it comes to self-promotion, I know that's definitely a big hurdle for some people, either because they're not comfortable putting themselves out there or they feel that it's disingenuine or they're too modest and they feel like it's tooting their own horn too much. So back to your PhD, how's that going and what have been your biggest insights so far? I've had a lot of insights so far about it. One being, I don't know if there's really that big of a difference hypothetically, in instructional design and academia. Instructional design, I think a lot of times we are reactive. I think academia is kind of the same way. Instructional design has a rich history of how things were and how things are. Academia is the same way. I find that really kind of fascinating. Second, there's a lot of really awesome, great research going on in learning technologies. There's all kinds of studies out there about artificial intelligence, chatbots, tools, just just the gamut of things that just get instructional designers excited. Well, at least, at least me. I think Joe's in there too. Joe gets excited about that kind of stuff too. I don't think a lot of practitioners know about it. And I think they don't know about it because Let's face it, research articles are really dense. They're really hard to get through. And a lot of times it's really hard to kind of pull out what are some of the key takeaways? What are some things I can use out of this to inform my practice and make what I do a better product? So I think maybe the biggest, biggest, biggest insight is if there's any way I can continue on this path and take my practitioner hat off or at least turn it on backwards, Put a researcher hat on and focus on the research and figure out a way to share research with people in the field to say, hey, this is what's going on right now. This is a really cool innovation. This is a really interesting case study. This is how people approach a certain thing and sharing that back with the field. That's amazing. So if people are interested in it and I have probably about another year and a half to two years of coursework plus my research and dissertation. So I'm really interested in social media learning and adult education in general. I need to figure out a way to blend those two together to do my dissertation. But all in all, it's, it's been pretty good so far. You've had at least some experience as an instructional designer in both the corporate space at Amazon and in higher ed at Ohio State now. What are some perspectives or insights from higher ed that the typical corporate trainer could benefit from or vice versa? Higher ed to me is very steeped in tradition. I have learned so much about the history of ISD at Ohio State. I've learned it not only through academic by taking courses, but through the folks that are still here. They have some really great perspectives really have some big insights as to how we kind of got here. But with that being said, they kind of still clutch onto those training manuals and they're still kind of reluctant. A lot of them are about giving those up and giving up kind of the golden years or the old ways. But at least having that kind of background knowledge is extremely, extremely helpful. I work with a gentleman that has 
so much knowledge and so many books and articles and he has been so kind to share with me all of these different training manuals from over the years. He's given me training manuals from the 50s and 60s and just going through those and seeing how they approach things. It's just absolutely fascinating that a lot of the same problems like learner engagement and tracking the return on investment of training, those were problems back then. So just getting that kind of that history has been invaluable to me. And I I really appreciate having that perspective. Corporate can really teach higher ed about being more innovative. In my corporate experience, you were encouraged to experiment. You were encouraged to innovate. And it was okay if you failed and stumbled and tripped along the way. It was fine because I had somebody right next to me to pick me up, say it's okay, and ask me what was a takeaway you had from that. And again, that was extremely powerful, especially when I was first getting in the field. To have that kind of support was just absolutely instrumental to me. In corporate, there was kind of this, we're all in this together. Let's not reinvent the wheel here. Let's really focus on process improvement. Let's focus on the leanest, meanest, best way to get it done. Whereas in higher ed, they're like, oh gosh, we don't have a lot of resources. We don't have a lot of time. We better put in for this approval this way. And we need to get this layer of approval here. And we need to do this layer of approval there. It's just too cumbersome to get the job done sometimes. So if there was kind of a meet in the middle, I think that both would certainly benefit. Both sides would certainly benefit from that. Your perspective pretty much reinforces the common thought, which is that universities aren't really held to produce results. And the business side of things are completely driven by results. So they don't have time to stop and take their time. So that's kind of the the pros and cons of each and and it sounds like you've you've experienced that in your instructional design work as well. A constant challenge for any instructional designer is working with subject matter experts, SMEs. In your experience, which SMEs are more challenging, the corporate or higher ed, and why? Another good question. I'm not sure if it really matters if they're in corporate or higher ed. To me, the most challenging SMEs are those that don't have a buy-in in the training. Once you can get buy-in on the training, sharing with them, this is your way to make this better. This is your way to help the organization. This is your way to give back. I flipped many SMEs just by sharing that perspective. Listen, I'm not here to compete with you. I'm not here to get rid of your job. I'm here to help you do better. I'm here to help your colleagues. And I'm here to make you Yes, you, a rock star, because you are helping the organization. If you can't get the buy-in, then you're going to have a bad time. And unfortunately, I'm sure we've all had those experiences, and me included, where they don't understand the value. You explain the value. You show the value. But they they just don't, they don't want to really give that piece. And it could be for a number of reasons. It could be they have too many things that they're juggling themselves. It could be they're getting ready to retire. They don't really care. It, it could be a, a bunch of different issues. But in my experience, if you can't get them to understand the value of what they're doing and you don't get their buy-in and ownership of it, it it's always going to be a challenge. 
So from your perspective, a challenging SME is a challenging SME. It doesn't matter what sector you're working in, right? Oh, absolutely. So with this being the Instructional Redesign podcast, let's talk about your views on modern instructional design. What would you say is the biggest opportunity area for instructional design going forward? I can't take credit for this. I will give credit where credit is due. Sam Rogers brought up an excellent point. Where are our quality standards in instructional design? Is there any type of standards that can kind of stand the test of time and be completely transferable to the multiple industries that we impact? Good might look like something at one place and good might look like something else somewhere else. There has to be some way that we can share these best practices and design something. And I don't even know if it has to be vetted through ATD or eLearning Guild or a different organization like that. But having some kind of standard set for this is what instructional design should do. This is what an e-learning module should do. This is what a good video should do. This is what a good job aid should do, I think would be invaluable. I definitely agree with Sam on that one. Not only is there a mix of quality, depending on, on who your organization is, but that bar tends to be pretty low, at least from a e-learning development standpoint. So in my experience, once you meet that bar and produce a little bit higher than it, people are really impressed. And you just kind of melt people's brains when you create anything that's actually really good that lives up to something comparable to outsider industry, like uh, a nice web design piece or a great YouTube video or something like that. When we meet those types of standards set outside of our industry, we just go leaps and bounds over our, our own low bar. So what is your biggest pet peeve about the expectations of the traditional instructional design role? Very simply, they want it all. A lot of organizations want it all. They expect the instructional designer to be a one-man band, one-woman band, where they can be an e-learning developer, where they're a graphic designer, where they know code, where they can facilitate, where they can do everything that encompasses this job. If you want that out of people, then I say pay us for it. I think a lot of people that are in this industry are completely undervalued a lot of times, especially for the talent that they bring. And I think a lot of organizations don't appreciate the constant professional development and the constant growth that someone has to have in order to even be at an average level, I feel like, as an instructional designer, everything changes so quickly as far as the technology, as far as the different delivery methods. A lot of times instructional designers are playing catch-up in their organization, but they're also playing catch-up in their particular learning and their skills. So again, I think a lot of organizations want it all in someone, but they don't necessarily want to pay that person for all of it. And asking people to take on too much is what contributes to that low bar that I was just talking about. Taking a strong instructional designer and basically forcing them to do the e-learning development as well is in many ways a bridge too far. And oftentimes instructional designers seem overwhelmed by the fast pace of change with technology and how it applies to learning. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to stay current but isn't sure what of all the multiple things they could focus on what they should focus on. You have to figure out what works for you. 
I know a lot of people have a system in order to store their content. They curate particular content in the instructional design realm and keep it. And I know it takes a lot to read everything, to process everything. One way that I like to try to stay current is being involved in different organizations, being involved in my local ATD chapter, being involved with the training learning development community. Getting different perspectives is tremendous. Another way to stay current and one little hack that I like to do is go to the community for your particular e-learning authoring tool. I'm a storyline user, so I go to the e-learning heroes, the storyline community, and a lot of times people put up these really great templates, and I like to download them, and I don't necessarily use them, but I like to break them. I like to pull them apart and try to rebuild it to see what I can learn. I've actually learned a little bit of JavaScript and other tricks just by doing that technique, so it completely depends on what they want to focus on. I would hope that people want to kind of improve areas that they know they've kind of avoided, or maybe you are a specialized instructional designer. Maybe you're blessed enough to have that specialization, continue to grow it. And if you're at a point where you want to share some of that out to the community, others would love to have it. I'm sure it never ceases to amaze me just things that I think are common sense, just sharing it with somebody and people are like, wow, I didn't know that. We have to remember there are so many people in this industry that enter at all different levels. So many of us are not quote unquote formally trained in this particular area. So the fact that we all have different perspectives, we all have different ways that we've fallen into it. Feel free to give back because I'm telling you, if it wasn't for people that provided their kind of feedback and their kind of commentary on things that they work on, I know I wouldn't be as far as I am today. I love the fact that I can consume stuff like that and use it and to inform my practices and make myself better. I couldn't agree more with your technique where you dissect a template or something you've downloaded uh, in Storyline. That's the best way to learn how to do stuff is to just take things apart, change some things around, see what happens, and uh, see if you can recreate it yourself. I feel like you kids these days, you're all spoiled with your e-learning heroes forums and things like that. I remember kind of lamenting with my instructional designer colleague years back that it felt like we were all kind of designing in a vacuum. This was just when Twitter was launching and everything, and we really felt like that it was almost impossible to really share our work with with one another because one there wasn't the greatest of platforms to do it and two there was the proprietary nature of what we were doing that our companies would have preferred that we didn't share things so that kind of kept us in this vacuum so to speak so what kinds of topics can our listeners look forward to hearing from Kara North in the future I have a lot of topics that I would like to discuss and have a really robust conversation around one being women so as women, as instructional designers, are we part of the STEM community? Are we part of the education community? Are we part of our own community? Just exploring that and sharing journeys of other women that are in the field, I think is very valuable. Another topic is accessibility. What does accessibility really look like? Someone that needs accessible e-learning 
What are some of their challenges? What do they look for? And of course, I have to talk about social media. So social media, how can you cultivate your personal learning network? How can you use that to build your brand? So lastly, where can the few holdouts that aren't currently in your network find you to connect? You can find me on Twitter at KaraNorth11. I've worked on building up my website, so you can go to KaraNorth.com. On LinkedIn, I also think you can find me on KaraNorth11. And then on Facebook, search for KaraNorth. You should be able to find me. I have a professional profile on there as well. So thank you, Kara, for sharing your thoughts and allowing me to interview you on your very own podcast. Thank you, Joe. You're a good host, if I do say so myself. You're proving to be a good co-host as well. You gave your personal contact info. I'll add that our podcast is at the website instructionalredesign.com. We're on Twitter at Redesign Podcast. And you can find me at josephsuarez.com. And I'm on Twitter at joseph underscore Suarez. Kara, here's to many more episodes. Yay!